Um, as you came in, in the back, there was a table. There were some sign-ups. Uh, if you were here last week, you know what that was about. If you weren't, that might have been a little bit confusing of uh, what is that. Um, I just want to briefly mention, we are um, last, last week we launched some, uh, some ministries that are going to be a part of our uh, church here. I believe some signature ministries that the Lord is calling us to. Um, last week, we look, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, and last week was, Blessed are the merciful. And I think God has called us, I don't think, I know, I know God has called us as a church, as his people, as followers of Jesus, to be merciful, to extend the love of Christ uh, locally in our own region, our own backyard, and also globally. And so... Um, we have opportunities for us to be uh, involved in different ministries that we're going to be launching here. We're going to be putting together some teams, um, those teams in the back, and they will be a part of the, the, the teams that go on here, but these are going to be more of reaching out type teams, um, but we are launching an orphan ministry. Um, there are over 153 million orphans on the earth right now, and uh, and, and, and I... I'm just overwhelmed at that number, and it can be overwhelming. But in all of these ministries, what we want to begin to ask God is, is God, what is our participation? What is our part? And how do you want us to be involved with this? Um, James says, pure and, and blameless or faultless religion in the sight of God is caring for orphans in their time of need. And so we, we, we have a mandate from God to care for the orphans. And so we're going to be launching an orphan ministry uh, team here and just asking God how we're going to be a part of that. There's going to be a human trafficking ministry team. Um, this is an epidemic that is across our world that is very real. Um, there are over 27 million people caught in the human trafficking, women, children as young as four and five. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it should take our breath away when we think of it, uh, of how awful this is. But again, what is God calling us to? There are some phenomenal ministries that are in, uh, working in this, um, in this ministry, rescuing girls, rescuing children out of this and transitioning them back into, into life and helping them. And, and we want to be a part of what God's doing on the earth. And, uh, you know, these, these problems are, they are bad, but, uh, again, they're not, they're not insurmountable with the power of God. And God's called the church to shine the light in the world and to help people. We're also going to be starting a life team. Um, we, we're just praying that God would end abortion in our day, and we're going to be partnering with Hope Pregnancy Center that's in Wilmer and, uh, and praying and, 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 and just seeking the Lord of, over how he would have us be a part of that team. Um, disaster ministry team. We're seeing it's, it's unbelievable how many natural disasters there are. Um, last year was the the record for since they since they've been keeping track of when they declare a national uh, emergency as far as natural disasters. 2011 was uh, now on record as uh, as the worst year. Um, so we want to see what God wants us to do with that in practical ways, reaching, giving short-term missions, whatever that might be. Um, a kindness and serve team we're going to be launching. This is going to be locally uh, random acts of kindness, um, looking for practical needs in our community, and, uh, and so just keeping our eyes out for that as well. Um, an encouragement team, calling it an E-team. For those that may not have the energy to do the other things, uh, we're, we're encouraging people to be encouragers. Romans 12, Paul says that if your gift is encouragement, do it with all your heart. 
And so there is a spiritual gift of encouragement, and we uh, want to be in contact with those people that would be encouragers, mentors, or writing people notes, uh, looking for ways to encourage others um, in the body of Christ and also those that don't know Christ. And then also, the lastly, is a prayer and intercessory team where we're going to be calling for people to be a part of a team that prays specifically for a lot of these issues as well as the church, as well as for the lost, and, and we're going to be tasking those folks to be um, in regular prayer and intercession. So that's a little, a bit of an overview of, of some things that we're launching here. Um, the sign-up will be out today, and then next week will be the last week. And so what I encourage people to do last week was to pray about it. Um, I don't want people just to be excited about something and sign up for every single ministry, um, and, and then and then it doesn't... You know, then you don't really give your heart to it. I want your heart to be in it. And uh, so just really pray. And if you don't sign up today, remember last week will be the last week that we're going to have that out. So um, that's why those signups are out there. And uh, just thank you for being involved. Thank you for your heart for the Lord. And before I move any further, it is Mother's Day, but it's our own youth pastor's birthday. Barry Brace, happy birthday, man. We love you. And. Thirty-four and holding, looking good. That's awesome. Don't laugh. <laughs> now giggles will be around the room the whole time. So, uh... well, today we're going to uh, continue our series in the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew five to seven. Um, I'm going to be in this for a while. Um, it has been challenging me as I read it, study it. It has been convicting to me. A lot of times I read it and then I. Uh, promptly pray and ask the Lord to forgive me of how I'm not living and how Jesus wants us to live and pressing into him and saying, God, help me to live the way you want me to live. Today, uh, we'll be in Matthew 5 again, um, and we're going to be talking about how to see God, how to see God. But in this sermon, he's teaching his disciples and his followers, us, on principles of the kingdom of God. He was ushering in a new kingdom and a new way of living um, that was going to go against the world way. It was going to go against religious structures and, uh, and he was establishing a new system on the earth uh, with his kingdom. Uh, and, and I believe that this sermon uh, deals with keys and revelations of being a part of his kingdom. And, uh, and we're basically getting his heart. Uh, Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes, the beginning. That's how he begins the Sermon on the Mount. He comes right out of the gate talking about the pursuit, really, of happiness and not temporary happiness. When he said, blessed are um, the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, the word blessed there is eternally happy, spiritually prosperous, life, joy, satisfaction, God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward condition. So he is talking about happiness, but he's talking about eternal, real happiness that he offers those that would walk in these attitudes. And so he comes right out of the gate and says, if you really want to understand what it means to be deeply content, deeply happy, eternally happy, grab hold of these principles for your life. And so the first week was, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's from Matthew 5.3. This is his first words for the sermon. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That simply means that we desperately, desperately need God and we realize it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means in and of ourselves, we understand that we're morally, spiritually bankrupt, that we deeply need Jesus Christ. When we come to that realization, what is the promise? It says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We get the kingdom when we realize how much we need him. Isn't that great? That's the promise that he gives us. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will get the kingdom. You will, you will understand the kingdom. You'll get the revelation of the kingdom when you understand that you desperately need him. In and of ourselves, we are not good. And I'm going to get that in, in, in that in a moment as we get into today. The second one was, blessed are those that mourn. They will be comforted. This is an attitude of repentance. We should live daily lives of repentance, understanding that our sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. So it should bring us to a place of mourning our sin. Not allowing the enemy to condemn us or make us feel guilty, but understanding that, 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 we, are, that we are mourning our sins, saying, God, please forgive me. I'm living in an attitude and a life of repentance. And then the promise is, they will be comforted. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Not just a pat on the back, but you will be deeply comforted by God because there's nothing sweeter than be cleansed by God when we truly repent before him. And, we, and he comforts us with his love in his cleansing in our hearts. The next one was, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, meek means strength under control. It is synonymous with, with uh, great humility. It's courage and boldness with humility, passion without pride. It's desiring to be seen of God rather than man, living for inward transformation rather than outward manifestation. A, a meek person is a teachable person. They are under authority, and they are at peace. And the promise is this, is if you grab hold of meekness and you really get the revelation of meekness, Jesus said, you'll inherit the earth. And what does that mean? It means that we will make an impact. We will have influence. I think all of us, everyone wants to be known for something. Everyone wants to make an impact. And Jesus says the greatest way to make an impact is to be meek. That's how he did it. He made an impact wherever he went. He influenced wherever he went. Yet he walked in great, quiet strength and meekness, and it was actually an authority that he walked in being meek. Again, it was a, just a different way of doing. You know, the world way of making an impact is to promote yourself and to push everyone else to the side. Jesus went completely against the grain and said, You'll, you will inherit the earth if you are meek. And then spiritually hungry and thirsty, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is tied to number one, the poor in spirit, realizing our complete dependency on God, hungering and thirsting for him, knowing that without him I am starving and I am dying of thirst. I need you every day. Jesus, help me. I understand my deep need for you. Imagine trying to eat once a week. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't live very long. And he wants us to understand that we desperately need him every day, hungry and thirsty for him. And then last week, again, we talked about blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And that's extending compassion, serving without expecting anything in return. Jesus said, he said, I, I am among you as one who serves. And that is how he revealed, again, the opposite kingdom, the opposite mindset of the world. He said, I want to reveal greatness to you by serving. I want to show you how to get to the top of the ladder by going to the bottom of the ladder. I want to show you how to get at the head seat of the table by taking the lowest and, and most humble seat. And that's how Jesus operated. And, and we are called to, to show mercy, to extend his love, love in action, in word and in deed. And again, this is birthed out of a place of loving him and allowing him to love through us. We can't just muster up enough love. This is not about humanism. This is not about everyone just being a little nicer to each other. This is saying we desperately, again, tied to the one previous, and all these are tied together. I'm hungry and thirsty for you. God, help me to understand your love for me, and then help me to give that love to others, and help me to be merciful. 
Because when we understand how much we've been forgiven for, it should in turn make us merciful to others. And, it, and it's a byproduct of, of love. And we want that. And we talked about how that was tied to Matthew 5, 13 through 16 of letting our light shine. Jesus called us to shine light in the darkness, not to curse the darkness, but to shine his light and to reveal his mercy. So today, Matthew 8, how to see God. You know, I think in all of our lives, we want to see God in operation. We pray, you know, we pray for revival. We pray for God to move. We pray to see him. God, if I could just see you in operation in my life, and if I could understand or, or, or just see you do something. You ever pray those prayers, those desperate prayers? God, show me something. Let me see you in the midst of what's going on in my life. And Jesus makes an incredible statement here about seeing God about what God is drawn to, about what, God, uh, what, what, kind, of, what kind of a person that God is, is looking for that, that, that he say, I want to then I want to show you my presence. I want to show you my glory. I want to show you myself. And Jesus says this, blessed again, eternally happy. In, in spite of outward conditions, happy, Eternally happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What is Jesus talking about here? What does it mean to be pure in heart? You know, Jesus, as you look at the Gospels, he was always in his dealings with the religious you know the stories and the they're trying to trap him they come up to him and and you know they're trying to get him to kind of condemn himself and they put little questions out there sometimes and they would regularly do this or people even that were lost uh, would come up to him and and they would ask him questions and Jesus had this unbelievable ability to get to the heart of the matter in his encounters with people he would he would wade through all of that outward, you know, peripheral stuff, all of that stuff that they're throwing out there, and he would read right into, and he would go right into the heart of that person. And you see that over and over. He challenged the hearts of man. Because in John 2, it says this about Jesus. It says that he, he knew what was in the heart of mankind. And he knew that what was there was not basically good. I mean, that's a, that's a thing that's in our world now that man is kind of somehow basically good. The Bible has something completely different to say about that. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all. Who can know it? We aren't basically good. Our nature in its very, is, is drawn to sin. It, it's, it's, it's basically evil. And you've heard me tell this story about the rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus has this encounter with this guy. He's a ruler. He's wealthy. And he comes to Jesus. And he's looking, some translations said he's looking to be justified. And I'm going to talk about, you know, when, when Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, that's one of, our, 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 that's one of the things that, that, that uh, one of the motivations of our heart is we want to be justified. He so says, wanting to be justified, he comes to Jesus and he has this encounter. And he goes up to Jesus and he says this, I love this encounter. Good teacher, what good thing, hear all that good? 
Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, probably Jesus smiled because he just kind of knew where this guy was going. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, you know, honor your father and mother, you know, worship God. And, and, and the guy, and he gives him a list of commandments. The guy says, well, I've done that since I was a child. And it makes you wonder why Jesus didn't go, then what's the problem? But his, it, was, it, it was a heart issue. And then so Jesus weeds right through and he says, well, you lack one thing. And he goes after this guy's heart. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell everything you own. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And what I love about that is Jesus did not treat this guy harshly. He, he, the Bible says that he had deep love and compassion for him. But he was reaching beyond all that good talk. And Jesus even says, you know, only God's good. And he reaches beyond all this good talk and he's saying, I want your heart, young man. I want you. And it just so happened that the closest thing to this guy's heart was his money. Money had become his idol. And you realize in our heart that the, 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 the stuff that doesn't need to be there is kind of boiled down to idolatry. It's what we put value. It's what we put, you know, worship, basically. It's, it's how we value stuff. And so Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. And it's not like he was making a, a fast-track statement to all of mankind is, is to sell everything you own and, 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 and give it to the poor. And we are to give things to the poor. We are to minister to the poor. But Jesus was going at this guy's heart because he wanted this young man's heart. He had an amazing ability to do that. And so when we refer to the heart of man, when we refer to our hearts, we're talking about what is really inside of a person. Away from all of the facades, away from those masks that we put on, away from those, those fronts that we tend to put out there for people to see. It goes beyond that, and it's on the real inside of us, the real authentic us. And it boils down to this, what is our motivation? Why do we do what we do, for good or for bad? I mean, we know that we're capable of doing the wrong things, but sometimes we can do the right things even for the wrong reasons. Have you ever done that before? I, mean, I think we're all capable of doing wrong things, and we know that. But sometimes we do the right things for the wrong reasons. But our motivations reveal our hearts, our, 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 why we do what we do. But here's some wrong motivations. And I said this before, justification. We want to be justified. There were several encounters that Jesus had where there was one time there was a, a teacher of religious law that says coming to Jesus, he wanted to be justified. We said it about the, the rich young ruler. What does it mean to be justified? Jesus, tell me I'm okay. That's what the rich young ruler, he was trying to get Jesus' endorsement. But he knew that something deep down in the side, inside of his heart, that something was not right. He was not truly happy. But he, I'm, I'm thinking he's probably processing, if I can get Jesus to tell me I'm okay, then I'm okay. And sometimes we want Jesus, we want God to say, you know, you're okay. You know, when he was a good teacher, what good thing. He was so hoping, and I think, and my active imagination, I think he was thinking this. Jesus, I want you to in turn tell me I'm good. 
Jesus, you're good. And, 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 and Jesus responds, no, you're good. No, you're good. No, really, you're good. And that's, he was hoping that Jesus was going to justify him. Tell me I'm okay. I want to be okay in front of people. Because that's another wrong motivation, is to be seen of others. Why we do what we do. You know, Matthew chapter 6 in the sermon, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of these things today, but it's all about the heart. It's all about motivation of why we do what we do. And I want to read uh, just several passages here, Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and then 16 through 18. And I want you to get a catch of what Jesus, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and you see him testing the motivation of why we do what we do. Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Isn't that funny? You know, I'm giving to the poor now. Look at me. He says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. He says that again. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your Father sees. Because God sees the heart. And when we give to be seen of men, really the reward is out the door. And Jesus is challenging the motivation of our heart. You can see the hypocritical people announcing with trumpets what they, what they're, what they, how good they are. Verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men. That's the third time we've heard that phrase, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, that they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to to be shown that they are fasting. You know, oh, I'm fasting, barely making it. Aren't I holy? Aren't I great? I tell you the truth, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil in your head. And today's, put some gel in your hair. Get the hair dryer out. Do some things with your face. Wash your face so that it is, it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The motivation of the heart. Why do we do what we do? And we laugh, and I laugh because I see myself in there when Jesus challenges the heart. We may not sound it with trumpets, but we kind of hope somebody sees what we're doing. Oh, come on now, don't get quiet on me. Because our motivation reveals our hearts to be seen of men. To be seen of men. Jesus says that over and over. And he says, do you want to be seen of men or do you want to be seen by the Father who sees what you do in secret? And great will be your reward. 
I don't know about you guys, but I want God's blessing. Because just by somebody patting me on the back or saying, awesome, man, look how great you are. That lasts just for a moment. The only problem with that is then you need it to happen over and over again. And you're constantly trying to be seen of men. And so he challenges of why we do what we do. And he challenges it as issues of the heart. In there you'll see where he talks about, Jesus talks about adultery. And he says this, he says, you know, you've heard it say, you've heard it said in the old, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her where? In your heart. He's dealing with the heart. He talks about murder. Murder begins with a, in the heart where it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's the deal of hatred. Don't, see, the problem with the heart is see, you can cover that up. I can have a lust problem and a hate problem, and, and I can have issues that I can just suppress down deep inside, and then when I'm in front of you, I can look the part and smile and tell you the right things because I want to be seen of men. God says, let that go. Because this is tied to the idea of what he says about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. We need to mourn and understand that hiding our sin, suppressing our sin, those issues of the heart, that's not a spiritual gift. We need to open our hearts before the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, basically, why, why are you doing that? Why, why are you, what's your motivation? Here's another wrong motivation. It's to gain allies of why we do what we do, to have people take our side. When we're offended, when we're hurt, when somebody has wronged us, and we go and we share it with others in a wrong way. I'm not saying you should never share things, but when we share things to, that, that we're, we're hoping that they'll become our ally, we're, we're not asking for them to pray, we're not asking for counsel, we're hoping that they become our ally in our offense. Because there's a problem when you take up somebody else's offense. And I found this to be true. There's some people that are offended for their friends that their friends are already over and have forgiven. And they're still hanging on to their friend's offense. Issues of the heart. Another wrong motivation is to be loved or liked by God and others. A lot of times we do good works and, and we're, we're trying our hardest to get God to love us, to get people to like us. You cannot earn God's love. Let me, let me release that off of you today. You cannot earn God's love. He gives it freely. He cannot love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you intensely and deeply. That's why Paul, in that Ephesians 3 passage, and you've probably read it, but he's, he's, you can almost hear his groan. He said, I want those people to know how deep, how wide, how long, how high the love of God is. He said, because if you could understand that, your motivations will begin to, to begin to shift. You're not trying to get God to love you because you can't get God to love you more. He does love you. But sometimes we're, we're just drawn to doing good things and we want people to like us or we want God to love us. What is our motivation? Another, another wrong motivation is this, to manipulate and control why we do what we do. We try to manipulate and control. Here's another one, to feel better or less guilty. 
Here's a big one. To preserve ourselves or to preserve our name. Self-preservation. And so you don't have to look any farther than Jesus Christ himself to understand what it means to be pure at heart. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, he's revealing himself. And like I said, if you want to be more of that, and we go, well, I, Lord, I, I want to be meek, hang out with Jesus more. I want, to, I want to be pure at heart, hang out with Jesus more. Because you become like those who you fellowship with, those who you are with. How did he model it? You see him drawn to the Father. He's, he was saying, you know, I, I see what I do. I do what I see the Father doing. I speak what I hear the Father speak. He would draw away. He would be alone with the Father. When he taught them to pray, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but when he, when he was teaching the disciples to pray, and, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, they saw what he had with the Father. I love that in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what you have with the Father. Teach us that. Because out of that relationship, you just, you just are who you are. And Jesus walked at great peace. Because here's what it says in the, in, in the Old Testament. There's a passage that says that, that the Lord looks about the earth and he's, he's looking at those whose hearts are completely and devoted to him. Blessed bless are the pure in heart for they will see God. And the Lord looks around the earth and he's looking for those whose hearts are completely his. You know the Lord, he looks around. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord is looking around and he's looking at us and he's saying, is your heart completely mine? Because I, you're, you're the one that I want to give my presence to. I'm seeing whose hearts are completely and de- devoted to me. What is our motivation? Why do we do what we do? Because here's the Here's the sobering truth. God sees our hearts and he knows our motivations. He knows every intention that we have. We can fool others, but we do not fool God. He knows why we do what we do. He knows our deepest insecurities. He knows what drives us. He knows what uh, what makes us want to be seen by men. We don't hide anything from him. We're not duping God at all. He sees it. Just like the rich young ruler, though, he looks at you, and I think that he kind of smiles, and he says, if you will understand what I have for you, if you understood the love that I have for you, if you understood the plan and the purpose that I have for you, you'd begin to walk away from those things. And so I think we need to make it a regular practice to pray as David did in Psalm 139, 13. Or no, I mean 23 through 24. He says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear that prayer? What, what if we adopted that prayer on a daily basis? It's what I loved about, about, about days. Search me, O God. I don't want to hide anything from you. I don't want to suppress anything because ultimately, Lord, I know it's not hidden from you. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. 
One translation says, cross-examine me. He's almost like legal terms. Test my motivations and help me to test my motivation. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting because God, I want you, I need you, and I want the promise of eternity. That's the prayer of a pure heart. Allowing God to examine the deepest, innermost parts of us. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What does that mean? What's really in there is going to come out. And knowing that God looks always beyond the outward and he sees the deepest part of us. We, we know this passage, we're very familiar with it. In 1 Samuel 16, um, you know, Samuel has made the declaration before the Lord to Jesse. And Jesse, he says to Jesse, one of your sons will be king. You know, and immediately the, the human response to that is to get the oldest. And, you know, and, and Jesse lines his boys up for oldest to youngest, except the youngest he doesn't even consider. That's David out tending his father's sheep. So he starts with Eliab, the oldest. And he's, surely this has got to be the one. This has got to be it. And, 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 and Samuel looks at him and it says, God has rejected him. And the Lord says this to Samuel, don't judge by his, his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the, way, the things the way we see them. It's a parallel passage to Isaiah 55. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we get into trouble when we bring God down to our level. And God says to Samuel the prophet, the Lord does not look at things the way we see them. He sees way different. And then he says this. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's always looking at our hearts. And there's that contrast between David and Saul. You know, what, a, what an amazing thing to have this said about you. And this is what was said about David. He is, God says, he's a man after my own heart. Didn't mean he was perfect. He made some major mistakes, but this guy knew how to repent. This guy knew how to have that prayer of a pure heart. He knew relationship with God. And whatever was happening, he was constantly running to God. I desperately need you. He understood what it, was, what it meant to be poor in spirit. That's why God said, he's a man after my own heart. In contrast to Saul, who blew it and wanted to be honored in front of people, and he wanted to be seen as good, you know, just show me that I'm good. Tell me that I'm good. You know, Samuel rebukes him, confronts him several times. You know, one time he says, you know, okay, I blew it, but take me out and and honor me in front of the people. God forbid they see the real me. I I don't want to look bad. And David would just be saying, God, search me. Know my anxious thoughts. I desperately need you. You see the contrast of the heart. And again, God is looking for those whose hearts are completely his. That's why he said, David is a man after my own heart. Where's our heart? What's our motivation? Because it boils down to this, and I said this earlier, but that, that idolatry is an issue of the heart. And when God would rebuke the children, the children of Israel, old, it was, you know, and they, were, they would get into idolatry, but it was more than just them worshiping idols. It was issues of the heart is where they placed their value. 
You know, they didn't just wake up one day and say, I wonder what detestable thing we can do today. This was a gradual process of the heart. It was a digression of the heart. And again, it was basically saying, God's a little scary. We don't get God, and, 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 and he would move in power, and sometimes that was good for people, and sometimes it was bad for people. It's not that God is any different. It was just that he dealt directly with people before Christ. So God's a little, we don't, we're, he's, we're, we're kind of uncertain about God. And so then what they would do is they would bring God down to their level. That's basically what idolatry is. And we're as guilty as anybody. We can do that. And so they would make these idols. It's because we can control the idol. And then they would even say, you know, they would make this, you know, this whatever, a golden calf at one time, and then they would set up these poles, and they would make them objects of worship. Is because we can control those. Ultimately, what we're saying is we can control God. And they would even worship the, the golden calf. They said, this is God who saved us out of Egypt. And it broke God's heart to see them in that kind of place. But they didn't just wake up one day and decide to do that. This was a digression of the heart to bring God down to our level. And it was an ultimate form of control. Jesus dealt with the Pharisees is because they had made their forms and their methods idols. They still wanted to be perceived as religious and have a part of God, but they didn't want him on, on his terms. They wanted to, they said, God, we want you on our terms. We will conform you to us instead of us being conformed to you. Because when we conform ourselves to God, it takes humility and say, God, you call the shot. you're calling the shots, not me. That's that place of surrender. That's a, a surrender begins in the heart. Lord, forgive me for taking control. Forgive me for being in control. Forgive me for writing all the terms and how I expect you to do this, this, and that for me. And I am not willing to surrender and say, Lord, now you're calling the shots and not me. The people would do, they would still do religious festivals and sacrifices, yet their hearts were far from God. And again, it was about control. They could control the idol. One of the prophets said, you know, it's interesting. You have this piece of wood. And basically, as you can control the piece of wood. How do we have idolatry today? We can make people an idol. We can make our spouse an idol. Because when we are looking to, some, to someone to fill that place in my heart that only God can fill, it leads to great disappointment and frustration. But we try to do it. We make people our idols. Or we try to attain to be like someone. I mean, that's why... You know, you see in our, in our culture, in the American culture, you see who we idolize. And, and, and it's, it's movie stars, musicians, and those things. We put them up on pedestals, and we, 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 we envy them and say, well, that's the, that's the ultimate life. And it really isn't. Because they're sad and depressed. They're broken. They have, their marriages are in shambles, and they're hurting. But yet we raise them up, and we can make man an idol. We can make... We can make people in church an idol. And we look for them to do something for us that God is requiring of us. We can make a method an idol. 
That's what the Pharisees did. They would try to make their method and their forms. We make a formula. If you do this, 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 and this, then God is obligated to do this. And God is saying, no, I am not in your formulas. I'm not in your methods. I need you to follow me. We can make a move of God an idol. You know, there's a, we've seen revivals come and go, and I'm not saying that God doesn't do those things, but sometimes we can elevate them to a place that God never wanted. We, we almost worship the event rather than God. And we tell people, you have to go to that event. No, they desperately need God who is here. And so idolatry is in the heart. And then we, when we get into that, we forget why, we're crea- why we were created. And then our hearts get cold. You notice the Pharisees, what they would begin to nitpick Jesus. He would heal someone on the Sabbath, and they said, you're working on the Sabbath, and that's completely forbidden. Kill him. And he's setting blind people. He's giving blind people their sight. He's healing crippled people on the Sabbath, and they would nitpick one time there, his disciples are hungry, and they grab a little piece of, you know, the grain that's off the, you know, and, and to eat so just to get some nourishment, and it happened to be on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, what were these guys watching them? You know, did they have like a, it makes you wonder if they had cameras or something. I know they didn't. I, I'm aware of that. But they, they were sitting watching, and oh, you're, 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 you're disciples, they're eating, they're, they're, they're harvesting, they're, they're picking little heads of grain to eat, and he said, you're, they're harvesting on the Sabbath. That's completely forbidden. And Jesus would say, you, you guys, you, you're so wicked. You hypocrites. Jesus said, even if you guys, one of you guys had an, one of your oxen fell in a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you, get, you wouldn't just say, well, you know, good luck, oxen. Be back tomorrow because today's the Sabbath. He said, wouldn't you get, get that oxen out of the ditch, although it's the Sabbath? How much more? And he's showing that this person that he just said, how, how much more precious are they in the sight of God than in, in some oxen that's lying in a ditch? And they would nitpick on the law, looking the part but not being inwardly transformed. That's why Jesus calls them out over and over. He said, your hearts are far away from God. You have perfected the outward, but inwardly you are completely far away from God. Matthew 15, 8 through 9, Jesus, he's talking to the Pharisees and he quotes Isaiah 29 and he says this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's always dealing with the heart. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Do you hear him calling out their methods and their forms? You're doing a whole lot of this, but your heart is in the wrong place. So Jesus had this amazing ability to get to the heart of the matter, and he still does. He does see why we do what we do. And my challenge to myself and my challenge to you today is allow him to test your heart in the place of intimacy. Again, it goes back to relationship. Please hear that. All of this stuff goes back to relationship with him. Ask him daily for the right motives. God, test my motives. Help me to to have the right motivations. Help me to have godly motives. And that's what it means to be pure in heart. Because he knows our thoughts, our hearts, our motivations and intentions. He knows the real us. He knows the authentic us. And again, we need this realization 
of our need for him, living this lifestyle before him of relationship, of God, test my heart. Forgive me for that wrong motivation. God, oh, I'm, forgive me for what I did the other day when I encouraged that person because somebody was standing there and I was hoping they would see me. God, please forgive me. You know what he does? It makes his heart come alive and says, you are forgiven, you're clean. We walk with him in relationship because that's what it means to have a pure, to be pure in heart. To walk in meekness and humility, it takes someone that's pure in heart, that's close to God, to hunger and thirst for him. You have to be close to him. Being merciful when he says, blessed are the merciful, for the right reasons. And then he says that, he said, the pure in heart will see God. What does it mean to be pure? You know, we throw around that word, the pure in heart. The Greek word, and I'm not going to try to give you the Greek word to try to impress you for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but it simply means this, and I thought this was just striking. It does mean clean. And, we, we, you know, that, that's that kind of obvious word when you hear pure. It means clean. But listen to this. This is kind of goes on and is purified by fire or pruning. Isn't that really good? Purified by fire or pruning because the test of our hearts, and Jesus says at the end of the day, you know, our hearts will be tested by fire. He says that. Because he said then the things that were done for the wrong motivation is going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be consumed. But the things that were done for the right reason will be like gold. It'll be refined by the fire. And so it's being purified by fire that the, we're doing things for the right reason. And also pruning. Remember Jesus, John chapter 15, that those whom he loves, he prunes. He cuts away those things. And you see, you have to allow him to do that. Allow him to cut away those things that are not of him. Allow him even to cut away those good works and say, I want to produce more fruit in your life because I love you out of the place of love. The whole idea of John 15 is about out of a place of love, then he cuts away things. But purify clean by fire pruning, allowing God to go into the depths of our hearts, to burn up and cut away that which is not of him, to be right with him, to be in right relationship with him. Pure in heart means obedience. Out of love. Again, we can throw that word obedience, but it's obedience out of love. It's hard to obey when you, when you don't understand that he loves you. But pure in heart means, Lord, I'll obey you. I will follow you. you know, and, and it says this in that, in that context of where David and Saul says to obey is greater than sacrifice. Saul was getting a little nervous about one time, and he made this huge sacrifice to God. He wasn't supposed to. It was illegal for him to do it. Samuel shows up. What are you doing? Well, the men were getting nervous. You see why his motivation. The men were getting nervous, and so I made the sacrifice. And, and Samuel says this, do you not know that obedience is greater than sacrifice? An obedient heart is a pure heart. Sometimes, again, we, we say, God, I want, I want to know what you want me to do, and we think of that grand thing that God wants us to do. I used to be convicted. One time I was praying. I mean, I, I just share a little personal story. This is kind of funny. I was youth pastoring. I was over at the youth center, and I was praying. I was asking God for really big things, and God, I want this youth group to be just huge, impacting this area. And I thought, I mean, it was really holy prayer. You should have been there. Um, I should have recorded it. Then I could have let you hear it. Um, Oh, I mean, I was marching around there, and, and I just, this was awesome. Praying godly prayers, godly prayers. God, do this, do that. Man, I, wanna, I, want, this, I want this youth group to just explode. I want it to, you know, be huge, and, and I'm just feeling really good about myself. My prayer, it was just incredible. 
And it's just that still, small voice of the Lord where you just know it's him because it's not of you, and, uh, and, and it goes against what you just prayed. It's, that's a pretty good indication that's probably him. And I just felt like he whispered this, why do you want me to do that? Why? So I wrestled with that a moment, you know, and, and then you have that religious response back. Oh, God, it's because it would just be awesome if people could see how great we are. So you want to do this. You, you want it to happen because you, you want to be seen and not me. So then I promptly got on my knees and began to repent for those prayers. Cut away those things that are not of you. And we think of the grand thing. But you know a small act of obedience touches the heart of God. One small act of obedience to him that no one else sees. That's why Jesus said when you give, when you pray, when those things, those, that little act of obedience that no one else sees but God sees tell you, it's huge. And that's, in God's economy, that's gigantic. To obey is greater than sacrifice. Not the grand thing, but the day-to-day walking it out with him. Pure in heart means trust. Isn't that a hard one? Trust that he's in control. Trust that he's sovereign. That in spite of my circumstance, in spite of those outward conditions, he's really in control. He really is. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves and remind ourselves of that. Like David, he's, you know, I mean, why so downcast? Oh, my soul, hope in God. You know why he said that? Because his soul was downcast. Hope in God. You are, you are who you say you are. You are in control. You are sovereign. I have no idea what you're doing right now, God. I don't see it. It's like I'm living in a fog. I don't know where you're at, but I know you're in control. And God says, that touches my heart, and that's a big thing because you're trusting me. Pure in heart means faithfulness. Faithfulness, walking out faithfully daily with him in the mundane. Pure in heart means him, and when, when, when you are walking with him, you take on his heart. I'm going to close with this. Here's the reward. It's what I said, you know, how to see God. The pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? It means experiencing his presence, knowing him in relationship. I love, and I did a little word search again. Again, I'm not going to throw out the Greek on you, but the word for see, it says, blessed are, you know, blessed are pure in heart, for they will see God. That is a phenomenal word. Here's what it means. Experiencing right in the middle of. That's kind of a literal translation. Experiencing right in the middle of. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will experience right in the middle of their circumstances, the good times, the bad times, the ups, the downs. They will experience God. They will see God. We can see him at work. Again, the, the, the tie to blessed and that eternally blessed prospers in spite of outward conditions. We can see him. In spite of outward conditions, we can experience him. 
Because there's nothing greater than to know that God is there even when your, your circumstances are, are, are just crazy. And they're out of, they seem to like to be out of control. And that's why he says, I'll give peace that passes human understanding and wisdom. Peace in the midst of the storm. Peace in the midst of despair because the world cannot offer that. And that's why when the world looks on, they're not looking for you to have it all together. They're, they look on and they say, what is the hope that's in you? Why do you have peace in the middle of that? You are going through awful things. What is that you're experiencing? And all you can say is, I know it's awful, but God is with me. I'm seeing God even when I don't understand what he's doing. And I shared this before, but when we lived out east, we were in a very, just a very struggling time in our lives, just trying to figure out what God wanted us to do. Things were not as they had seemed. We thought things were going to happen this way, and they happened. Have you ever been there? You just, you're on this track, and you go, you know, you have a vision for it. You see how things are going to unfold. If, man, if people and God would just do what you think they should do, it would just go right. And then everything that you see, everything, all of, the, all of the, the puzzle pieces that you have all fit, it's just not working out at all. It's like you have five different puzzles. And the pieces are not quite going together, and there's nothing making sense. And we were in a, just in a hard, hard place. And in the midst of it, I would, I would pray to God, and I would spend time with God, and, and, and his presence was so wonderful and beautiful, and he was with me, and he would give me peace and for a moment, and then I would let the peace go, and then Athena would go, well, did God speak anything to you? Not a thing. Because he didn't speak anything specific to me like I wanted him to. He was just with me of all the nerve. And that was the point that he was trying, I'm with you. You don't get it, but I'm with you. Seeing God, experiencing him right in the middle of, working daily in our lives and eternity because the promise is not just for this world. We get to see him in eternity. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. They will see God here and they will see God there. And we will get to be with him. But knowing that he's there, he's drawn to the humble of heart. It says God, 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 uh, exalts the humble, but he opposes the proud. The word there is he fights against the proud. Do we want to see him at work in our lives? We need to walk with him and allow him to purify us and test our motivations. What is our intentions? What are our motivations? Stay close to God. Stay pure in heart. Realize that you deeply need him every day. Pray like David and say, test my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And please, God, lead me in the way everlasting. And the way everlasting is walking with him every day in intimacy because that's how he wants us. Let's, let's stand together. Jesus, give us pure hearts. Give us pure hearts, Lord. Forgive us for how we do things with the wrong motivation, Lord God. Sometimes we want to be seen of people. Sometimes we're trying to get you to like us more. Lord, sometimes we're trying to manipulate and control. Sometimes we, Lord, we just, we're just selfish. Sometimes we're trying to preserve our name. Lord, help us to be right before you. God, I pray that we would be pure at heart today. And every day, God, that we would walk with you with hunger and thirst for you. 
that we would realize our deep need of you, that we would live daily lives of repentance. We would stay very close to you. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would see you, that we would see you at work in our lives every day. God, help us to stay close. Give us pure hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Have a great day today.